0: Hey guys, welcome to episode 5 of the Working Title Podcast. This episode is about uh, COVID and the many conspiracy theories surrounding it. I have with me today my friend Jordan. I literally met Jordan on the street in Snohomish. We struck up a conversation about Bill Hicks because I was wearing a Bill Hicks shirt. And that conversation quickly jumped from Bill Hicks to psychedelics to conspiracy theories very quickly. And when you meet someone that is that like-minded when it comes to things like conspiracy theories, uh, you tend to keep in contact with them. Uh, I encourage you all to take this episode with a grain of salt, but to also think critically about it and keep your mind open to the possibilities of alternative motives of certain organizations. Uh, So I hope you guys enjoy, and uh, let me know what you think.
1: My dogs are going to inevitably bark at some point because my wife will be getting home, and we can just obviously edit it out or take a five-minute break or something while that, when that happens, and so the dogs calm down.
0: All right, um, sounds good to me.
1: Yeah, dude. So, uh, I guess what have you? What did you say happened? Why are you? Why are you living with your? You just had surgery.
0: You yeah, said. I just had surgery on my yeah. back, so I'm living with my dad until I can uh, go back to work in Spokane.
1: Yeah, what happened
0: to your back? Oh, I don't actually know. Well, like I know it happened, but I don't know <laughs> how it happened. All right, got disc herniation and then a surgery, and yeah.
1: So did you start feeling it at some point, or was it like over time your back? Oh started yeah, hurting?
0: oh yeah. I, I went in a walk one day, and hmm. then then I woke up and I could I was kind of like a hunchback. Tons of nerve pain down the left yeah. leg, stuff like that. Damn, it's a hell of yeah. a walk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I'm uh, I'm doing a lot of nothing mm-hmm. for for the past two months or so. Yeah, the most nothing I've done in a long time. Mm.
1: Has it been? Uh, has your recovery been pretty shitty? Having to do? You, have you oh, had to no. remain stationary, or
0: no? Uh, it was a pretty small surgery the, the only stipulation is i can't lift anything more than like 10 pounds
1: sure how long but, does that uh, last
0: like six weeks yeah but uh i don't have any pain or anything anymore mm-hmm. so that's nice
1: yeah that is good um oh my goodness these dogs i don't know if, can you hear them uh barely okay cool all right Um, well, if they get too loud, then, like I said, we'll take a break just for a minute. But, um, anyways, yeah. So, uh, how, so to talk about kind of, I don't want to call it the elephant in the room, but the thing I've been wanting to talk to you about, how, Mm -hmm. how did you guys find out that your dad, where did your dad get diagnosed with COVID-19?
0: So the initial testing was actually a false negative. Okay but he had a fever for about 17 days mm-hmm. he had extreme pain in his lungs he he, he was so exhausted he said he f- said he felt like he got hit by a truck mm-hmm. um yeah it was mainly the 17 day long fever it's just so out of the ordinary uh, we sure. didn't think it could have been anything but covid19 plus there's already uh, information floating around that false negatives in the testing are quite f-
1: frequent, so. Sure. I've also heard technically that false positives have been pretty frequent as well. Um, yeah. I don't know if you if you saw, did you see any of that footage with the um, it wasn't Uganda, what was the name of the, uh, there was a country where the president or whatever of the country said that was on television telling his people and telling the world that he had sent in like engine oil and olive oil and some other things as, like, test substances to be tested for COVID. And they all came back positive from the UN, you know, or the the representing I, authority at the time or anything. I don't know if you heard anything about that. do
0: not remember hearing about that. Mm. Just because there's been, I mean, COVID has saturated the news cycle so much. For there's sure. just so much information out there. Or a lack of information.
1: Yeah. Um, I, uh... Yes. Okay, so so let's uh, maybe we can we can dissect that a little bit. So it's obvious that your father had some things going on uh, that were out of the ordinary. Uh, I, I think I'm I want to be open and upfront, coming from the perspective of you know I would never tell anybody that hey your loved one or you or yourself were not sick at the time. You know that you were mm-hmm. faking being sick, but I have, I personally have a very hard time believing that it was COVID because I. Kind of a lot of the evidence that I've looked at and a lot of the things that I've um, garnered from and kind of passed through my own filter has has led me to believe that whether or not there's an actual flu that's kind of an odd flu going around that's actually affecting people, I, it's that COVID 19 itself, as the supernatural plague that is now the pandemic, I, I feel is a little, well, more than a little, is, is like way overblown. And, um, So when your dad being sick and being tested, you know, like the, immediately what comes to mind for me is, I, it's, 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 again, it's not against the judgment of your father or you, wherever you guys choose to go get care from, you know, because this is ubiquitous everywhere. There's testing being done all over the place for COVID. Uh, But, you know, um, I, I, I guess I've, I've heard many things and I've read quite a few things on the lack of the efficacy of the actual testing done to to quote prove whether or not somebody is a carrier or is affected by Mm -hmm. COVID-19 and you know with that it's just yeah there's there's a lot of um, I I, I believe there's a ton of misinformation across the board from every direction and um, it's difficult for me to trust somebody telling anybody else that they have COVID um, Mm -hmm. you know because of that and so that's why. That's kind of why I'm prying into it. Um,
0: so, what are what are your biggest discrepancies with the uh, official um, statements coming from our government sources? Sure.
1: So, um, I want to I want to be very clear about this when I say that like I, I do not. There's nobody that I watch on YouTube or that I read articles from that I believe that every single every single word they say is unabridged truth. You know that, that it's that it's uh, completely can be taken at face value and everything. Like, I take it all with a grain of salt. So I just want to preface by that by saying mm-hmm. that first. Um, but uh, did you ever... You, you know who David Icke is?
0: I've heard of him, yeah.
1: Yeah, so he's he's often known as the reptilian guy, and he gets a lot of shit for that because he has expressed his opinions on um, the... Uh, you know, and I, I, I believe that he uses it as allegory for referencing the reptilian type of mindset of hierarchy... Uh, lack he of emotion. You
0: know. He wrote a very popular book, right?
1: Uh, he's written quite a few popular books.
0: Was it the uh, Behold, "Behold the Pale, Pale Horse"? Oh no, that's that... that's Bill Cooper. Bill, okay.
1: yeah, that's a great book,
0: dude. Um, oh man, did you read that? I didn't. No, I, I just heard it uh, in passing on the the Rogan podcast or something. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I would I would strongly recommend it. And again, it's one of those things where. You know, a lot of this, I didn't agree with everything. I don't know if you ever heard Bill Cooper on his old radio show that he had called The Hour of the Time. Um, no, I don't think I had. Really, really great stuff to kind of go back and listen to. He was definitely a, um, I definitely didn't agree on some things with him, you know, but uh, that's, you know, that's not an issue. If you can mm-hmm. garner truth from somebody, that's what's important, you know, in some light. And, um, but he, he was very much, even back in the 90s, and I I think that's when his show was running. I don't think it was in the 80s. I think it was in the 90s. He, like the mid-90s, he um, he was very much on the ball of the overall sentiment of us moving more and more into a state in which our rights are being infringed upon and it's moving into more of like a communist, socialist type of uh, society. And uh, But this book, Behold the Pale Horse, is, uh, you know, again, you take it with salt because it's one man's opinion, but he supposedly had found a printer at a, at a flash sale or something or a fire sale where they were selling off all this old equipment and found a document or somebody had found a document that was saved in the cache on a printer that was used at the FBI or the CIA and in this cache was a document called Quiet Weapons for Silent Wars or Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars and uh, it was all about the um, usage of, uh, of um, manipulative tactics to be able to Commit war without standing out in front with armies. It's like everything to do with subterfuge and how to uh, manipulate a population without having to declare open war on them. And uh, he was yeah. So that's that's like the wow. main first bulk of that book is the of the Behold a Pale Horse is this mm-hmm. quiet weapons for silent wars and it's um, very interesting I mean and it's
0: based off of a document that was on a printer
1: that, <laughs> right which again <laughs>
0: that was on accident
1: exactly again that's one of those things where mm-hmm. you just take it for what it is I mean it, it, even if Bill Cooper himself had written that entire document the quiet weapons for silent wars there are there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, um, coincidences in the efforts that were described in this document and were described by his analysis of the document there's a lot of coincidence in what is currently happening now you know with mm-hmm. the kind of mass mind programming that's occurring and um yeah so anyway so to go to go back to your question regarding the uh, um covid thing uh so we i brought up david ike so David Icke has this awesome conversation with, um, I believe his name is David Ross, is this guy who, I think this is his name, is the guy who hosts uh, the, London, the London Real podcast. Mm-hmm. And um, he has this conversation with him, that's a few hours long, where David Icke goes into how the um, the test that they use to determine whether or not an individual has COVID-19 is a test uh, that by, by the very creator of that test, was declared as not fit to be able to diagnose any sort of disease, uh, any sort of infectious disease or uh, uh, viral disease. I think is I think is what the now is
0: that the nose swab they do?
1: Well, it's it's not necessarily the swab. It's what they do with the with the
0: oh the the, the process right. in which the testing actually
1: exactly goes so under. okay yeah. So I could totally I might butcher it here. um I don't want to spend too much time trying to look it up. Maybe I can try and find it here. But uh, the, um, here, I'll just try and see, like, COVID test. Uh, ah, wasn't.
0: So the testing, I, I've heard a lot of uh, debate on whether the testing, especially, well, not the testing, but the diagnoses sure. on a time of death where COVID gets blamed in cases of, um, yes, where basically someone was on their way out anyways with terminal cancer or whatnot, Mm -hmm. and they diagnosed it a a COVID death. Mm -hmm. Just how much of the 158,000 deaths or supposed deaths in America do you think that actually, uh, are actually misdiagnosed in that way?
1: Uh, You know, I mean... If I so so I'm I'm only speaking my personal opinion. My personal opinion is that COVID doesn't exist as what they are saying it is. So I I believe every every declaration of COVID death is is falsified. But that doesn't so mean Do, you, do you
0: believe that there is a coronavirus that came from China that is spreading across the world or has spread across the world? Right. Uh
1: no, not in the way that it's been told. Um now again, that's one of those things where, like, I'm not saying that these people aren't experiencing a sickness that may be something new, but the, but the, uh, you know, one of the one of the things that really sets it off for me is, um, did you ever hear about Event 201? Do you know what that is? Event
0: 201. No, yeah. I do not know what that is. What so, is Event 201? So um, back in October of
1: 2000 or 2019, so last October. Um, mm-hmm the uh here i'll just i'll actually walk you through this here um there's a there's a website that all right what the hell dude i I was looking at trucks earlier hold on a second (laughs) um so uh event 201 okay that's not what oh there we go yeah so this is the This is the website for Event 201. So, Event 201 was a a three-and-a-half-hour pandemic tabletop exercise that simulated a series of dramatic, scenario-based facilitated discussions, confronting difficult, true-to-life dilemmas associated with response to a hypothetical but scientifically plausible pandemic. So, what they did was they took 15 global – this is is on the website about it, by the way, like Mm -hmm. their actual base website – 15 global business, government, and public health leaders were players in the simulation exercise that highlighted unresolved real-world policy and economic issues that could be solved with sufficient political will, financial investment, and attention now and in the future. So something to make note of immediately. They show down here who was all the people that were involved in this, okay? So right. not a single person that was involved in this exercise was an elected official, even though they stayed above, you know, uh, there's not only government uh, uh, involvement but uh, that they were discussing how to enact political will to change certain things. But none of these people were mm-hmm. elected. So. And,
0: uh, and what, people, what kind of people are on that list?
1: So, the, so again, the, the, their broad general discuss, uh, description is global business, government, and public health leaders. Were the player. 15 of them were the players in this. And then they're listed down here where there's a medical doctor named Eric Toner, who is the exercise team lead for John Ho- Johns Hopkins Center. Um, there's a couple more here who were co-leads at John Hopkins Center. Uh, this guy worked for World Economic Forum. Um, and then there's a guy who's Jeffrey French, is the exercise lead for the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Mm. So that's kind of a big thing here is that the, and the Open Philanthropy Project, so Event 201 was supported by funding from the Open Philanthropy Project. That itself, too, is also funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, if I'm not mistaken. I think I've never seen something along the lines of them having a hand in that. Um, so
0: event 201 was a prep for so event 201
1: right in october of 2019 they they just so happened to have been a three and a half hour tabletop exercise about a pandemic and these people were involved and it happened only a couple months before uh nineteen. before
0: corona was even reported
1: yep and uh and Bill and, so there's a couple steps I'm going to walk you through here real quick. So Bill and Melinda Gates mm-hmm. Foundation was involved in it as far as the funding. And and, uh, and uh, due to this exercise, they, as well as Johns Hopkins and the World Economic Forum, propose these recommendations. And they have a whole set of recommendations they propose based mm-hmm. off of what they feel they learned from this exercise. So. You could argue, one could argue that "Ah, it's pretty interesting timing, you know, that this was an event that occurred in October and it just so happens that we have a pandemic now that at the forefront is Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation trying to be the ones that are in charge of the vaccination, the global vaccination. Yeah, that's
0: just two months before.
1: Yep. So here's where, to me, it just completely solidifies it that there's no possible way that coronavirus and the COVID-19 isn't made up. Okay, so check this out. I just explained to you that they have an exercise. I didn't tell you the scenarios they used, but this is just the exercise that it was a general pandemic scenario where all these people discuss this, blah, blah, blah. Here's the list down here, the people like I mentioned to you before. Here's where it was in New York, the Pierre Hotel, October 18, 2019. And uh, it was in the morning until 12.30 p.m. And then um, here's the scenario that they used in October before anything we knew happened here on, uh, uh, th- as far as we know about the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19. The 201 uh, event simulates an outbreak of novel zoonotic coronavirus transmitted from bats to pigs to people that eventually becomes efficiently transmissible from person to person, leading to a severe pandemic. The pathogen and the disease it causes are modeled largely on SARS, but it is more transmissible in the community setting by people with mild symptoms. So their scenario, though it took place in Brazil, was a novel zoonotic coronavirus, just like COVID-19, that was transmitted from bats to eventually, mm-hmm. people just like coronavirus supposedly was. Now, if, it, if this, the the um, the Hegelian, I mean, this is
0: the website. This is the website for the actual event two hundred one.
1: This is the website. Center for Why Health would they Security.
0: keep that up? Why would they even let that be public in the first place? If they're if it's so coincidental.
1: It's mm. a good point. I think. Uh, I think it's the same reason that, like you know. So let's let's assume the, the most outlandish with this, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, that it's all being, uh, I don't want to say outlandish, I would, I would say in some people's eyes the most extreme, but it's becoming a little bit more like reality to me in my opinion. But imagine it's all made up, right? And they're okay. playing this game to try and influence society in one way or the other. And, you know, what if the game just gets boring when they continuously win and continuously win and they decide to, in their boredom, Kind of be a little brazen about it, and keep things up like this, that people can look at, but not but not connect the dots, and still follow along with the protocols that they're being t- mandated from their governors and all that stuff. It could be that um, you know, and again, the the this could also be. And I will give this always. This could I could be wrong about this, and I could be that it could be that this was just actually a a, a coincidence, but. It seems too much of a coincidence for me to think that it is because never has there been, as far as I know, there hasn't been an event 201 or a, a simulation of an outbreak and discussed by these world leaders or whatever before this. And it just so happens that it happens just a couple months before this supposed COVID-19 outbreak occurs. And it mm-hmm. falls along the same lines. You know, I, I, I don't know what, again, if we're assuming the worst, I don't know what the goal would be to keep this information up. I think it would be more to, like, mm-hmm. confuse and people. Uh, and,
0: uh, I can read it right there. There's no possibility of a vaccine being available in the first year. Yep. Yep. And
1: this is where, and then so the the scenario ends at an 18-month point with 65 million deaths. The pandemic is beginning to slow due to the decrease in number of susceptible people. The pandemic will continue at some rate until there is an effective vaccine or until 80 to 90% of the global population has been exposed. From that point on, it is likely to be an endemic childhood disease.
0: Man. Yeah.
1: So, so this is, I, I know this is definitely a long answer to your question. What mm-hmm. is it? What is it about the official story I don't trust? But like this is a this is one of the things for me is that event two hundred one occurred involving the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and now only months later, when the coronavirus quote happened, uh, mm-hmm. Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation are at the forefront of the vaccination, and it reminds me of the. Um, and if you look at the, this push to, to get people to wear, have you heard, I heard today for the first time, but it may have been a couple days old, perhaps, but have you heard that they're suggesting now, Anthony Fauci and the rest of these people are all suggesting now that kids and adults need to not only wear a mask, but they have to wear
0: goggles and like face shields? <laughs> and, I haven't heard the thing about the goggles yet, no. Dude,
1: this is, <laughs> it is ridiculous. I mean,
0: I, the, so I. What yeah. is the point? if say it's all fake sure. what is the point of getting us to all wear masks or getting us to all wear goggles
1: i think we're getting th- us
0: to stay home even yeah
1: i think i think the goggle and mask thing if we look on like a, on like a very face value uh, no pun intended it blocks uh-huh. it, it blocks the face it blocks what makes you you i mean you can argue that oh, an individual is their eyes. People can tell each other by their eyes, but like how you tell somebody's emotions most of the time are a combination of looking at their eyes as well as their facial features when they're speaking, when they're looking at you, when they when you say something and you garner from them how they feel about that. You're looking at their face, you know, and that doesn't occur when you have a mask on, or at least it's a lot more difficult. Um, I think I think the anonymity, uh, the forced anonymity of wearing masks, is on the one hand like a um, I, think it's, I, I think it's almost like ritualistic. Like it's a way to show that v- what they mandate people will do even if there's like enough questions surrounding the official story. Like I found, for me personally, I find it to be enough questions to, to not wear these things and to not fall in line with this. But at the same time, you know, me going to the grocery store, is it worth my time to go in without a mask to deal with people telling me versus me putting on mm-hmm. the mask, grabbing my stuff and getting out as quickly as possible you know, it's one of those things where I don't agree with it, and I think, it, mm-hmm. I, think I think it's way blown out of proportion. But um,
0: I've kind of enjoyed wearing masks at grocery stores. The anonymity is nice. I, it I'm is. Being it honest, really is. You know, um, it is nice, and it makes me almost feel
1: like, uh, you know, what if, what if the, what if kind of the point is that at some point it'll be mandated that people are always wearing masks, and they're Facial recognition has gotten so good at just viewing eyes that they won't need the whole face. But this is a way that you can, you know, another part of the whole thing is that uh, there's a there's a pretty awesome video of this dude who tests the oxygen level of breathing with with and without a mask on, like one of the one of the R35 masks or whatever those things are called, the T35 masks, the ones that the doctors use. He mm-hmm. he shows you he's got a little air uh, a little oxygen meter and he puts it up to his mouth without the mask on, is breathing, and he's saying, you know, the OSHA standard for work environment is you can't go below 19 and or you can't go below 20.5% oxygen saturation, otherwise it's considered a dangerous environment to work in. Both for, you can get epoxy, or, uh, not epoxy, uh, an- anoxia, I think is the name uh, of it. Uh, when you are uh, lacking oxygen, um, you know, there's, there's different issues that start to happen cognitively as well as mm-hmm. physically. Um, and your heart rate spikes, and uh, and there's a there's a study that was done like a, within the last couple of years that w- that showed that uh, surgeons that spent more than like an hour or two in surgery and were wearing their mask the entire time had increased uh, heart rates and um, were dealing with cognitive uh, issues that were occurring from wearing the mask so long. And um, you know, I bring all this stuff up because I if I I, I cannot say for certain what the mentality is behind the people who would be controlling Mm -hmm. this but it seems to me like whatever their initial on a on a on a on a a individual action level motivations are i believe the overall motivation is to continuously erode at our freedoms you know and erode at what we have the freedom to decide to do or not
0: a question on that study was there a control group of people operating on people without masks i think so let me let me try and look it up actually real quick um Uh, Are they even allowed to do that?
1: (laughs) No, right? So, study on uh, face masks, surgeons. Um, Yeah, I might have to look uh, just so I don't sit here and have this page up the entire time. There's a... Oh, here we go. PubMed. Yep, this is it. So, the abstract... uh, uh, the study was overtake, uh, undertaken to evaluate whether surgeons' oxygen saturation of hemoglobin was, was affected by the surgical mask uh, or mm-hmm. not during major operations. Um, the methods were repeated measures, longitudinal, and prospective observational study was performed in 53 surgeons using a pulse oximeter pre and post operatively.
0: Um, I don't see anything about a control. Um, yeah, making a control group for that would yeah. be hard because it, I don't think you would be able to replicate the. Uh, the feeling of operating on a real human mm-hmm. being, I, and I'm wondering if it would have anything to do with uh, nervousness, sure. instead of the mask. Sure, but you know, then again, I, I don't know. Well, I mean,
1: especially if, if you're if you're dealing with a longer surgery, obviously that's going to be you know probably nine times out of ten means it's a it's a much more serious mm-hmm. surgery. You know, and there's a lot. The, they
0: online. are saying. I mean, the study does seem to say that. It is surgical
1: mask-induced,
0: though. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, The decrease was more prominent in surgeons over the age of 35. Uh, Considering our findings, pulse rates of the surgeons increase and SpO2 decrease after the first hour. This early change in SpO2 may be be either due to the facial mask or the operational stress, which is what you just brought up. Since Mm -hmm. a very small decrease in saturation at this level reflects a large decrease in PaO2, our findings may have a clinical value for the health workers and the surgeons um yeah so yeah i just thought that was a pretty interesting interesting yeah that's pretty interesting at least at least if nothing else like i'm not saying i trust pubmed.gov 100 Mm -hmm. (laughs) but
0: now let's uh let's say that masks do reduce the oxygen intake sure now what would be the purpose of that
1: uh, well, if you have less oxygen, you have uh, a harder time critically thinking. A lot of times there's like a less ability to, to like synaptically hold on to thoughts and stuff without feeling drowsy or um, sluggish. Uh, as far as I saw, I've read from the, the um, side effects of uh, anoxia and having lower uh, oxygen saturation, it's, it's like a, a deprivation of oxygen would be kind of the same as if you're obviously hiking, higher and higher mm-hmm. up in the elevation at some point you cognitively start dealing with issues where you have to like be very careful with how you're handling yourself because people will start taking their clothes off because they cognitively feel warm, but their is actually freezing, you know, and that's what all that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, let's, let's say worst case scenario, I'd say the reason for the masks is a couple fold. The first is in some sort of ritualistic way to prove that they can make people do what they say, even though it's unlawful. Um, and then on the other token, uh, whatever effect it has on people being uh, having a, a less oxygen saturation, it could be something to do with like increasing apathy or sluggishness, or you know decreasing the ability for um, fast motor controls, which might mm-hmm. you know make somebody more more aggressive uh, if they don't wear one versus if they do, they might be more prone to um, uh, being able to be told what to do. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Um, I think. I, so, you know, the, the event two hundred one, like I showed you, the mm-hmm. um, when I couple that with the uh, the testing method, and I, I forgive me because I've I'm totally forgetting the name of it, but it was like the it was like the RSPR something type of test where essentially what they do is and this is my this is my I don't want to call it, say it layman understanding, yeah. but I'm not, definitely not yeah. a medical doctor, but I've done a little bit of research and. Um, from what I understand this is how they test for these things using this test method so if if you've had some coffee this morning let's say the only things that I garner from your a swab of your mouth is there's two particles of coffee there's one particle of cheeseburger and one particle of whatever you know we'll say Mm -hmm. uh, lemonade or something it doesn't matter so Mm -hmm. so you have you have two parts coffee one part food one part lemonade The, the idea if they wanted to test for lemonade in your spit they they swab your mouth and they put this this sample into a dish or a petri dish or whatever and they put this stuff that's like an organic um, the, the only way like a, like an allegory would be like an organic magnifying glass when it's like it's like organic material that when applied yeah. to something will take on it like reflects if you put this stuff on this swab i just took your mouth it will make mm-hmm. it a larger it'll it'll Duplicate what it finds and make it a larger um, specimen yeah, for maybe review it. You know,
0: specimen to sample
1: exactly. Um, okay. However, it will. N- it is not a linear expansion. It is not a linear growth. It is because you may have started off with two parts coffee, one part cheeseburger, and one part a lemonade. But what I might mm-hmm. find when I see it is the saturation looks like you have seven parts lemonade to one part coffee to four parts food. But it's because that, that amplification process is not linear. It does not do it exactly in the same proportions. It just it, it's, I, I forgot what the purpose of it was for. I feel like they were... They were um, no, I, I don't, I don't want to bastardize it and just make something mm-hmm. up because I feel like I'm remembering one reason why it existed, but it definitely wasn't to determine if somebody had something because if you, if, you, if you directly fought coronavirus off, let's say you just had a really mm-hmm. good immune system, and you had a single particle of coronavirus inside the swab that I took of your nasal cavity, but all the rest mm-hmm. is there, you have plenty of white blood cells and stuff, if I use this amplification process on your swab, it'll eventually show, if I use this enough, no matter what, it'll eventually show that you have this in your system to, to a degree in which I can say, yep, he's got it, regardless of if you fought it off. You have this in your system, therefore what do we do this in- with this information? And what they've been doing is they've been claiming that you are infected
0: by it and therefore you are a carrier, not you're asymptomatic, which, uh, which so does So this is where all the uh, asymptomatic mm-hmm. uh, results come from.
1: Yep. So um, did you ever hear... So, so the the reason why that doesn't make sense, though, is because it completely fails Koch's postulate. Have you ever heard of that before?
0: No, I don't know what
1: Koch's postulate yeah, let's is. Look this up. It's a really good... It's, it was a, a re- very interesting... Um, Here we go. So Koch's postulates are the following. And this was dealing with, um, uh, let's see, uh, are four criteria designed to establish a causative relationship between a microbe and a disease. The postulates were formed by Robert Koch uh, in 1884 based on earlier concepts and refined. Um, Koch applied the postulates to describe the etiology of cholera and tuberculosis, but they have been controversially generalized to other diseases. So, um... The postulates for the following. The microorganism must be found in abundance in all organisms suffering from the disease, but should not be mm-hmm. found in healthy organisms. So this is a way, this is again one of those things, uh, the, to, to be clear about this, what he's saying is that his criteria were designed to establish a causal relationship between a microbe and a disease. Um, okay. So if you're saying like, hey, uh, I believe these symptoms that you have are COVID-19, we need to be able to prove that the microorganism must be, be able, that we claim is it that we're looking at under this this you know microscope. I need to be able to claim that it exists in you, abundance in an abundance, uh, if you are suffering from the disease. But you are it should not be found in healthy organisms. The microorganism must be isolated from a diseased organism and grown in pure culture. Um, the cultured microorganism should cause disease when introduced into a healthy organism. The microorganism must be re-isolated from the inoculated diseased experimental host and identified as being identical to the original specific causative agent. It's just basically four different methods in which you prove that the thing that you think is causing disease is causing disease. Um, mm-hmm. And the th- and where it fails with COVID-19 with this asymptomatic thing where you're a carrier is that uh, you will not be, it, it, you would not find it in healthy organisms the, the, um, uh, if it was introduced into a healthy organism should cause the disease. If you have uh, malaria and you take it from one person with malaria and you give it to another person, they will mm-hmm. get malaria. You know, they will get the symptoms of malaria, and uh, you know it's the same with, with these other, um, like a bubonic plague is another example. You know, you can it, it, it's there's there's a whole bunch of different uh, examples of of microorganisms that have caused certain issues. And uh, now, mind you, Koch's postulate. Is uh, here's the thing right here where it says these postulates were generated before modern concepts in microbial pathogenesis that that cannot be examined using Koch's postulates, including viruses, which are obligate cellular parasites and asymptomatic mm-hmm. carriers. So this is where this is where it doesn't fit. But they've disclaimer used, right. they they it, it doesn't it doesn't uh, you cannot indicate somebody being an asymptomatic carrier if it fails. If you say oh it fails Koch's postulates, therefore X Y or Z it doesn't make up for the fact that there could be somebody who's an asymptomatic carrier who has it but isn't showing signs of the disease. Mm-hmm. But, but that is the other side of this, is that that's the argument against Koch's postulates that, oh, we've determined based on in the, in the past that, in, that a human being can be a carrier, an asymptomatic carrier, therefore Koch's postulate doesn't work. Um, and, and that's where the debate and kind of the controversy is, is that do you believe that it is possible for somebody to be an asymptomatic carrier of something Mm-hmm. or or could it be that they don't actually have it you know
0: um, that their body actually fought off uh, the virus before right. it could get the disease
1: and you know if some if if the germ theory is accurate and there is a there is a microbe of covid-19 on you who has now fought it off successfully you mm-hmm. would not be considered somebody who is you be considered somebody a healthy orga- who would be a healthy organism prior to being, quote, tested for being asymptomatic, you would be a healthy organism because you are not affected by it. If somebody mm-hmm. coughs on you and they have the cold and you have those microbials on you, but your your immune system fights it off, if somebody did the same test on you that they did for the COVID, they would say, oh, you have the cold. Obviously, because it's showing up in this test here that you have these microbials in your system. Hmm. It doesn't matter if you're not showing the symptoms, you have it. But then that's where it comes down to, well, what does it mean to have or not have a microbe? Like wouldn't we all have been exposed at one point or another to like trillions of microbes?
0: Well, isn't there a difference between having coronavirus and having COVID? Because just carrying coronavirus along with you—that's the virus that causes COVID, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, the the I think there's a misconception, and I could be I could be totally mis, uh, have a misconception of this. But this is from what I understand is that coronavirus is a type of, of uh, virus, or it's a it's like a, mm-hmm. a, a, a whatever taxon taxonomy of it or something it's it's a it's meant to be like a group of them like uh the, the cold the common cold is mm-hmm. is considered a coronavirus um and uh so, well, so
0: coronavirus. This, this one's got like a way longer name that no one ever says i think sure
1: um let's see if we can look it up here i i despise the idea of looking up wikipedia's article on covid19 because i already know it's <laughs> gonna <will> be <laughs> so um the sars covid2 the severe acute respiratory syndrome, coronavirus, too.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one I think. Yeah, so
1: yeah, it's just, it's a, uh, you know, it's interesting there. Let's see this real quick the worldometer. Yeah, so I the thing is, so this, I don't know if you know this or not. This website, worldometer, mm-hmm. is where. A lot of news stations and news outlets and media outlets all get their numbers for how many people are dying and how many Mm -hmm. people have the cases and stuff like that are considered cases of it. Um, You know, one of the problems with it, too, is that this is... When you look at here... Let's take a look at this real quick. I want to see... Because if you look at about this website... so. Provider of global statistics from many Our data is also trusted by. Okay, yeah. So the many, many governments, as well as uh, BBC, Business Insider, um, uh, provided to. There's just. Hold on a second. Give me just one moment here.
0: No worries. All right. This is a lot to unpack.
1: Anyways, um, so you know I, I, this is this is a single source that like if you look up the um, where was it I was just just had it a second ago the coronavirus numbers uh, actually let's go to the, the main website if you go to the main Worldometer website it's they give you sources for each number and mm-hmm. they are um, all right come on dude uh, like right here. Current world population shows uh, these sources here for the world population. Uh, if you so, these are all the generic numbers that this website mm-hmm. keeps count of. You know, it's got government, economy, uh, economics, so- society, and media, blah blah. blah. World world, that's right. Yeah, world info and Worldometers. Yeah, and then so it tells you all these different things, and you get down to um, health, and the amount of people who let's see the coronavirus. This is, the, this is the current numbers here. 18.9 mm-hmm. million supposedly have it. Seven 711,000 have died. Supposedly 12.1 million have recovered. When you go to their health thing here, communicable diseases deaths this year alone so far, and we're only in the beginning of August, mm-hmm. from the World Health Organization says 7.7 million people have died from other communicable diseases not related to coronavirus. Or if they are, coronavirus is, is lumped in with these. But even still, that only... That 7
0: only, million. Seven million people have died from other diseases total. Other
1: communicable diseases, specifically, because the reason I bring that up is that uh, mm-hmm. people have often said that the reason why the coronavirus is so bad is that it's so communicable compared to the other ones and that doctors even have to be careful. And it's like, no, that's this is what a communicable disease is. If you look up the word communicable, it literally is the, um, let's see here, communicable a disease that can be communicated from one person to another. It doesn't mean that it's more or less, and this is all, even if the numbers of the COVID are are matched in here, there's still seven million people who have died from other things, other communicable diseases other than COVID, and Mm -hmm. yet COVID is what this whole worldwide government push
0: uh, is is based around, and I... Okay. Yeah. So I'm curious just how much is included with the communicable diseases uh, numbers. I mean, is that including malaria? Is that including... Let's see here. Uh, not, not cancer, of course. Yeah, um, let's see. Because um, okay, um, depending on how extensive that is in where those people are dying, mm-hmm. that could change a lot of how I think, of, uh, how I really interpret that. Sure. Because as I see it right now, it looks like uh, 7 million deaths compared to 700,000 all Mm -hmm. while we've been doing the same preventable measures. I Mm -hmm. mean, otherwise I would have said, oh, well, you know, 7 million of everything all together. Sure. But it still doesn't make sense because, I mean, most of the world is still socially isolating and Mm -hmm. wearing masks. But people are still dying from these communicable diseases. I mean, yeah. And the virus really took off in March. I mean, yeah, it was here like in January, but mm-hmm. is that going for the whole past year, the past 12 months? No, or is this, that is, just this going is since the beginning of 2020. Since the beginning of 2020. Yep. Yeah, those numbers don't make sense to me. Yep.
1: So this is this is the same website, like I said. And so I'm bringing this mm-hmm. up to you because I, I'm glad that you were looking at this and it doesn't make sense to you. Not that I just want—I'm rooting for you just to be on my side of this, but mm-hmm. this 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 website, this is one of the things that was like a like a uh, uh, a source of fuckery to me. It was like I'm looking at this and I'm going, this doesn't make sense to me. Why you know the the yeah. look at some of these like there's this year alone there was two hundred ninety-one thousand seasonal flu deaths, but mm-hmm. they've they've been. Uh, God, I gotta try and. I know I have it somewhere on my computer here, but I have a video of uh, a gal who was a um, whistleblower, who was a uh, practitioner uh, mm-hmm. um, uh, health. I think she was. I think she's a doctor, maybe a naturopath, but she's talking about how she was told to mark deaths as COVID deaths, uh, regardless of if they were able to determine that posthumously that they had mm-hmm. the coronavirus or the COVID-19, even by using this test I described earlier to you, this one that doesn't determine you were sick by it, but if they found even remotely one little thing inside of it, it could be amplified to the point where it looks like you were, you know, saturated in this COVID-19, whatever they are claiming mm-hmm. to be the COVID-19 microbe. And, uh, yeah, and, and then and then uh, they would declare it as, and, and uh, it's so crazy, too, because there's, you got to be careful of the, um, of the, uh, language that's used, too, because when it was first happening in the news, there was two different languages being used. Whether or not intentional, I think it's probably intentional, but it may not have been, but it kind of, it's, it's a little fucky, but the um, the one part was that you'd get people who would say uh, uh, this many people have tested positive for coronavirus uh, before they died, versus mm-hmm. these were deaths caused by coronaviruses, you know, by the coronavirus. Yeah. This is... You know, oh, these people tested positive, or, or now a new new study showed today seventy five more people uh, died and have tested positive for COVID nineteen. You know, or tested positive and have died. It doesn't mean they were di- they died mm-hmm. from it, but you know these are all things that are that are pushing into the numbers to try and make it seem a, a much bigger deal than I think it actually yeah. is. But
0: that seven million number, I'm still trying to think of ways people could have died from other communicable diseases yeah. more so. I'm trying like to, uh, I, bad I it water something. in in Africa or for or sure. other parts of the world that aren't uh, completely, what's the word, industrial, not industrialized. You get what I'm saying? Yep. I <laughs> no, I, t- I totally get it, man. But, uh, uh, so it would seem that our response to COVID is a bit disproportionate.
1: So, yeah. And, and now, again, to go back to the case of your father, um, mm-hmm. I have no, that that
0: yeah. is an unusual uh, sickness. My dad had seventeen day totally fever, and you know my wife. Strained.
1: My wife had something too in early December or mid December, mm-hmm. where she was sick for about two and a half weeks, and uh, she had a temperature throughout at least half of that, and was having some kind of like chest pain, mm-hmm. and was dealing with some like uh, chest tightness and coughing and stuff. So the so symptoms you, that yeah go
0: you ahead. would be willing to say that the coronavirus was real. It's just being. Drastically thrown out of proportion to fit the uh, needs of a certain private or government agency.
1: Uh, I, I, I am not willing to say that because I don't know for certain. My gut tells me that, um, my gut tells me that that we may have dealt with something new that is being shared across a lot of people. Potentially, but I also feel like there's just as uh, possible, possible of, a, of a reality of it, which is that um, there's it's actually not something too new. It's just that it's been kind of rare. Maybe perhaps there's been like some sort of flu or cold that came across mm-hmm. in the United States from somewhere. Hell, it could have even come from Wuhan. I don't know, man. But I, I don't believe, I personally don't believe that what they are saying is COVID-19. Is COVID nineteen, and I, I especially don't believe that it's nearly as dangerous as they're saying it is. Now, what your dad had, I don't know necessarily that that's even. How, how can how can how can they prove to you or me or your dad that what he has is coronavirus? They can take a test and say, "Oh yeah, it came up positive." But how does that prove it for us? You know, I, I guess I'm.
0: I mean, hopefully, you can trust your doctor. But uh, how many doctors are? are actually skeptical at at this point how why haven't doctors and nurses and and or more doctors and Mm -hmm. nurses than we've seen come forward to to kind of be skeptical about what's going on here i've heard some
1: i've heard some things regarding the um, medical like councils and stuff and medical industry where there's tons of like regulation that is run by organizations that are at the forefront of testing and COVID-19 and immunization and stuff. So if you go against what you're being told to to do in your practice, then you could lose your license or you could lose your you know your practice. I mean, I, I, I I've I've I'm uncertain to because I don't believe for a moment that every person who's a nurse or a doctor is quote in on it. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, not even not even remotely, but. I yeah, because like that,
0: that would be the, uh, the main counter-argument. Like, how, how can you believe that all these people are, are working together to, to get this massive ploy underway?
1: Sure. No, I think it's, I think it's more um, compartmentalization. There's mm-hmm. a... And I, and I feel this, too, so don't think that I'm, I'm excluded from yeah. it, but, like, I, I, we live in a country where there's, there's an honor in just doing your job there's like there's like a somehow we've built it up to be honorable to just taking your orders and doing it you know i was just i was just doing my job i'm free Mm -hmm. of the blame i'm free of it you know i was just doing my job but you know where where is the line in which you know your morality must come into play when do you stop shirking all of your responsibility and then take responsibility for all of your actions regardless of what your employer tells you to do you know Mm-hmm. It, maybe maybe that should have been in the beginning to begin with, you know that your actions were were dictated by your morals as opposed to what you're being told by your employers and mm-hmm. again i'm I'm definitely not a a perfect example of that you know i I don't like my job, I don't like the industry I'm in um, anymore like I used to, and so it's kind of hard mm-hmm. for me to give a shit about a lot of stuff that I do, but I do it anyways, and even though it doesn't make me happy because I got bills to pay, we all do and yeah.
0: Um, you know. So moving on to, from uh, people in the medical field, sure. I, I want to talk about every other country's response to this supposed virus. Sure. I mean, obviously China was the first one, and they had the most radical response, with mm-hmm. you know forcibly locking people up and mm-hmm. keeping them, uh, tracking them, yep. uh, and and whatnot. Uh, do you think every Country's leaders are "quote unquote" uh, in on this, or or do you think they're just following the information of a uh, corrupt organization like uh, the World Health Organization? Mm
1: -hmm. I think I think there's probably a lot of pressure. um, Whether or not you can you can call somebody in on it if they're like the crony of some little street punk who sells drugs who happens to his money ends up. Happens to go to the warlord at the end, you know. You can call this person in on it, but it's definitely compartmentalized, and he doesn't know shit. He just knows that he gets paid to do whatever it is. You know, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I personally, I just from from, you know, one of the things about the United States government, I, I think we are one of the most corrupt in the in the world, uh, and it doesn't mean that I think that we are the uh, worst country to live in. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, you know, we we have certain freedoms that many other countries don't have but you -hmm. know for the time being we have those freedoms and uh you know we the the act of 1871 was um uh an act that established what what was called the united states of america inc or incorporated it established Mm -hmm. a corporation as uh um there's there's a whole backstory to like the the history of the united states but uh, essentially in the war of independence the crown agreed to the independence of the american colonies on the the assumption that they would pay back that we would pay back the debt that we owed the crown for setting up the colonies to begin with so like <laughs> you know you know, I, I think it was in the um in the treaty of versailles i think it even mentions mm-hmm. it too mentions the debt of the colonies to the crown that there will be it's like in francs at that time or something or sterling and essentially it was, there was X amount, like a couple million or whatever it was they said, it was worth maybe 5 million sterling, was what mm-hmm. the amount that they had spent on the colonies that was now owed back to the crown. And uh, so in the very beginning of the, of the 1776 of the American government, the agreement, there was already an agreement with the crown that we owed them money. And um, the agreement was that after X amount of years, they would come back looking for that money. And um, <laughs> I think it was and I, I don't know 100 percent, but I think it was like I think it was like 30 years or like 33 years not to be mm-hmm. so um,
0: is that where the war of 1812 comes in uh
1: that might might be for sure uh, it, it may not even it may not even have even been 33 years it could have been like 40 or something but from mm-hmm. some time like seventeen seventy five was when the war started or something, or there there was things happening up until the war started, and then it started in seventy six. And I think it mm-hmm. wasn't signed into ratification as the as a uh, the Declaration of Independence wasn't signed, I should say, um, until seventy eight, I think. But um, either way, uh, the idea was that the colonies would pay back the the money that they owed the crown, mm-hmm. and then the crown. After 33 or 35 years, whatever it was, came back and said, "Hey, you know, those of you who are living here, you owe this amount of money, to the crown still." And at that point, it was it was the the next generation, and maybe even one after that, having now been born of people who were born on this land that is their home, and you have these people who supposedly are saying that they are responsible for the debts of their fathers, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and so on the one hand, you have people who uh, Or or so, so they've come back and they've said, you know, you owe us this amount of money. And the people who were there said, well, we can't pay you that because we've even though it's been a generation and a half, we don't have the money that you're looking for—the five million sterling or whatever you're looking for. We're just, you know, people trying to survive over here on the colonies and everything. And um, so there was an agreement put into place that, uh, and I I can do my best to try and find the source for this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's been a while since I read this, and it was a pretty obscure source. So again, take all this with salt. But it kind of lines up with what I'm what I've also learned elsewhere, but uh, every, there was another cycle. It was saying, okay, okay, we will allow you to to have another 30 years or another X amount of time uh, mm-hmm. to bring more of this debt back to us or to pay this debt off, but the consequence is, is that, uh, or, or part of this deal now, the new part of this deal is that we get to put a post office in the United States, or in, in the colonies. And that's how the post office started, was it, it initially was created as a means of having unmolested communication Via the crown to the colonies, unmolested was the whole point. So that you, so not only was the post office in the in the, in the um, colonies supposed to respect mail that was draw, that was brought in, letters and declarations and decrees and all that stuff from the crown mm-hmm. and supplies from the crown or anything else that they were doing or trade and everything, but they were also supposed to respect it to and from in the ocean, like on the over the water too. And so this was the declaration: was okay, you you don't have to pay your debt now, but this is what we want. We want full communication and and have full possibility for the crown to be able to send supplies and send communication to you so they agreed to it and this was meant to be able to discuss this debt and to be able to manage this debt as well as other debts is the whole a point of of maintaining this communication so Mm -hmm. the next cycle occurs and uh the next cycle occurs and another 30 years goes by or whatever you know and then uh uh, or or fifteen years, whatever it was, one of the times that this cycled back around was uh, when um, was the war the Civil War, and what happened was was that uh, did you know that Abraham Lincoln was the first illegal president?
0: Well, what do you mean by illegal president?
1: So up at the, up until that point, there was a um, I think it was the Thirteenth Amendment or the Fourteenth Amendment or something. One of them, or maybe the Twelfth, I don't know. I'm, I can't remember off the top of my head. But one of them was was specific to uh you it is it is uh was not considered allowed for anyone to be of in Amer- an American office in the colony office in the colonies if you owed any allegiance to or held any titled nobility to another country and uh and Abraham Lincoln was had the title of esquire which means that he was uh a member of the of the bar association which is the british accreditation registry um and that's what that's where, like the American Bar Association dealing with lawyers and and attorneys mm-hmm. and stuff that is uh yeah. that is a merely an American front for a British um organization uh which deals with the Admiralty law and uh everything else in between um but that's specific to uh uh the um so so Abraham Lincoln was an illegal president because he wasn't well, allowed he, to oh, go ahead.
0: he he wasn't technically a legal press in, right? Because that was just a, an American front.
1: Well, so so it's an American front when in regards to the bar association. But but as a col- in the colonies, the original amendments had said that, or the 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 uh, Constitution had initially said that you were not allowed to be to hold office in American colonies if you held office to any other country or held allegiance to any other country or any. Title of nobility to any other country, and, and the
0: bar association was considered a British correct
1: entity. Correct, and, okay. and which was not an American entity, and therefore you know the and so around that time, so that happened. As I said, the uh, the, the civil war occurred at one of the times of this cycling of the debt, and um, the uh, the the country, the government that was put into place when speaking to um uh the the british uh uh, parliament and the crown when they said okay the debt's due we're back now again they said okay uh well we don't have it obviously we can't pay you what is now you know with inflation 12 million sterling or whatever you know or whatever they've said it is now uh we can't pay you that so let's renegotiate this debt this loan and the way that they renegotiated it was that the crown said okay we want as collateral all of the land of all the landowners you have as citizens of the colonies, um, and and so as anybody who claims to live on that land and to own land, their land is collateral for the debt that you owe us, and uh, that is and when and when that was found out, that is why the, the, that's what I've heard. Potentially, is the actual reason why the Civil War started. It wasn't about slavery; it was about. Um, the fact that these people who were three, four generations now removed from a debt that they're being told is on their heads and their land and what they've, their families you know, have, have sweated over and bled over, this is now property of the crown if this debt that the government organization doesn't get paid off, it's now property to the crown. And the point at the time was not to pay it off because the crown was going to move in and take the property. Um, and the civil war started at that point. Uh they say it was for slavery, but if you read the uh, the amendment, which, I, let, me, let me pull this up actually here. So I think it's the 13th Amendment. Uh, yep. So <laughs> check this out. So verbatim, the 13th
0: Amendment states, um, oh, for fuck's sake, come on. There we go. The
1: 13th so Amendment is, oh,
0: go ahead. The, the people whose land would have been taken, mm-hmm was it be would it be all Americans at that time?
1: Uh pretty, yeah, pretty much anybody who de- who defined themselves as an American of the colonies or the or uh what was considered the Confederate States of America. Um, Why
0: wouldn't they just fight the British?
1: So, uh the way that this happened was that uh uh now this is where it's a little murky as far as my recollection of it, but I think they say that you know, the the official narrative is that uh Abraham Lincoln got voted in, and then he abolished the slavery. He abolished slavery, but the truth is, from what I have read, potentially the truth is is that he actually was put into place, and there was uh, uh, quite a bit of uh, unrest and kind of uh, malicious intent put towards making him the top candidate to become the president. And then when he became the president, he declared that all uh, Confederate states of America, who uh, all the Confederate states, or Owners of any land or anybody who fights on the side of the Confederates is against the the American the tr- the, the North the Amer- the, Amer- the true American uh, the United States or whatever and that nor and the North had backing from the the British Crown during the Civil War they had backing from them as far as like financial and I think they even had um, um, actual military units over here uh, but um, so you have these people who are fighting over. Uh, now it's been told that it was meant to be for abolishing slavery. That, that the Civil War was fought because people didn't want to give up their slaves. But it could from this alternate story is that it was actually because uh, Abraham Lincoln wasn't a legal president, and they knew it at the time, and they knew that he had a to to the crown, which is why all these people were in uproar when he got the nomination and got the vote, because there wasn't actually that many people supposedly
0: voting for him. So the people <laughs> in the South were afraid of their land being taken by. The British, correct, over over the debts
1: of their great grandfathers, you know, which their
0: their property, exactly. Now, people in the South also viewed their slaves as their property. Oh, for sure. So, would it be fair to say that it was still, in fact, about slavery?
1: I, I don't. I, I don't know. I mean, again, I'm only telling you a, a another version, another version of this that I've read. But I, I guess I can't. I don't have all the answers for all the in between. What I know is that legally and actually within the 13th amendment slavery was not abolished it was uh it let's see if it'll it'll show me the fucking thing dude i just want to see what the what it says <laughs> like no nowhere in here does it here we go so section one of the 13th amendment says neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted shall exist within the united states or any place subject to their jurisdiction uh it means, they say, they're they saying slavery and involuntary servitude uh, shall shall uh, not exist, what does it say, except as punishment? Yeah, neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States or any, any place subject to the United States jurisdiction, except if you have been uh, uh, convicted, duly convicted yeah. of a crime. Which means that those who are prisoners and you have been convicted of a crime, you are considered a slave of the state, which is why even now, there's still labor that occurs inside uh, prisons and penitentiaries mm-hmm. that they are not being paid anything, if not, you know, they might be getting paid, you know, dollars yeah. a month for it or something, but yeah, um, it's, it's slavery, so it, all they did was change the ownership of slaves from private to public, or I should say from private to federal, and uh, you know, these for-profit prisons are private institutions even though they are part of the you know, justice system, quote, they are private institutions that are um, that need to maintain a 95% currently today need to maintain a 95% um, occupancy rate in order to continue making money um, and generating money for the interest for, for those who are the shareholders and the, and the interest holders or whatever for those prisons mm-hmm. um, it's fucking crazy man uh,
0: uh, what's section 2?
1: section 2 just says Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation so I think, okay. it, yeah, it's just that they will they will be enforcing this through legislation, you know, based off the fact that it has been declared as such. Uh, yeah. So this is a this is a really long answer. I totally was just meaning to give you a little bit of context on my reasoning mm-hmm. for. So I don't I don't believe that that every person in government and our government or any government is in on this whole plan, but I do believe that. Um, the majority of first world nations are, if not all of them, uh, are that there are there are individuals within their government that are fully on board with the, with a unifying plan to follow through with the, um, for lack of a better way of putting it, the movement and the maneuver into a one world justice system, a one world governmental body that would supersede all national boundaries and become the one system. You know, I mean...
0: Now... Uh, when it comes to one world government sure. one world justice system don't you think a lot of people in america especially would have kind of the red flags go off in their head you know because oh, sure. a lot of people grew up on revelations and mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that so yeah, yeah. wouldn't there be kind of that that point where you know where it's bent too far that they're gonna break
1: I think so, uh, but I also feel like um, you know part of the. Uh, if you ever heard of the Fabian Socialist method, uh, it is the idea of in order to achieve the political or social socio, uh, sociological gains that you want to make, you take you push two steps forward and then allow the public or the horde or the masses to push you one step back, but you've gained one step in, in that maneuver, and so the the whole point would be it's like 9-11 where if -hmm. anything was ever pushed back one of the things that remains true to this day and remains active is the the Patriot Act the Patriot Act yep you know and then Obama even furthered it when he was in office to make it uh, possible to be uh, indefinitely uh, uh, involuntarily detained indefinitely without uh, um, uh, a jury a, a trial by jury if you are considered to be uh, a, what terrorist. Would, a terrorist and we are in a state of emergency, which we've been in a state of emergency since, I think technically since 1933, but we've definitely been in another one, a state of emergency and a state of war since 2001, uh, since the declaration of it from George Bush Jr.
0: So you think they're setting up to have kind of a, a harder police state with a lot of uh, control?
1: Yeah, I think the I think the idea is that there are just people who want you to purchase what they make. They don't want competition. They want you to do what they want you to do because they don't want to have to work like we do for our living and for our bread. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. these are and in that you could say that they have their own careers that they do work that every day they're working, but they are working to take what we have earned. You know, and that is their work. That is their job. And uh, so, yeah.
0: With everything that's going on, what do you think the world will look like in one year, two years, five years? How quick do you think uh, this sort of uh, legislation, for lack of better words, is... Or not legislation, we could go... uh, Their evil mastermind plan.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah. Um, I would say that if it... before like the last, like before coronavirus, I'd say up until the end of last year, I thought it was going to be quite a ways out. I thought it was going to be something like we wouldn't start seeing the inklings of stuff until twenty thirty, 2030, twenty thirty five. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard uh, I think um, I think Ray Kurzweil, had, who's a futurist and an inventor, he's a pretty popular one who's at, at like the forefront of transhumanism. I think he had a prediction that at the end of twenty by the by the end of twenty thirty nine. Or 2029, we would have uh, our first uh, um, complex artificial intelligence, and then by 2039, it would uh, technology would have grown so much by that point that we it would be indistinguishable from you know human intelligence. And uh, so I used to think I used to think that artificial intelligence was going to be one of the main contributing factors to it uh, to this mm-hmm. whole thing. And so I thought, oh, we have at least you know. 10, 15, 20 years before they're going to really cinch it down. And maybe that's enough time to do whatever. And then, you know, this coronavirus thing happened. And when it first started, you know, I, I'm, I'm I'm not going to lie. I'm more than willing to admit that I was scared when it first happened. Not because I thought, oh, this is it. They're doing it. This is the clinch. You know, they're they're mm-hmm. coming for my guns or whatever. <laughs> you know, nothing like that. But mm-hmm. more like I was scared of the coronavirus. I was scared of COVID-19 when it first came out because I was, I, like I said, my wife had been sick in December. And mm-hmm. all this information was spreading, and there were all these, you know, uh, alternative media media sources that were still on board with it being real and spreading more than what the media was telling us. And there was, you know, there was all this fear mongering mm-hmm. happening. And I was, I mean, I did my best, but I was, I was eating it up, and I was yeah, affected I was, by it.
0: I was following it in, in late December, early January, and you know, some alternative uh, sources as well. And, and and when I first saw it, you know, I was it's just like anything you kind of see going on on the other side of the world. You're like, Oh man, this is it. This is going to be the big one. Yep. You don't actually believe it. You <laughs> right? Know? right. It's, it's kind of like Ebola or, or mm-hmm. the swine flu. You're like, Oh, this is, this is it. Here it comes. Yep. And and you don't actually think it's going to spread around. Right. But the more I was watching it, mm-hmm. the, the more I saw that, you know, these numbers are, are going up pretty quickly
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, uh, the more estimates I saw for how things would look, the more I was like, oh my gosh, you know, this is actually turning out to be something pretty respectable. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think the, where, where my fear lies now is, uh, you know, am I going to be able to make the right decisions when I am presented with that moment, which I feel like is inevitable. But that moment where I have to make a stand and say, "Well, no, I'm not going to comply with this," try and do something. And I'm not saying that in like some sort of tough guy thing, but like, what mm-hmm. if what if I get in a situation where I have complied and I have complied with everything and I've complied with everything, but then there's a point where they try and take my daughter away from us, or they try and separate me and my wife from my daughter, and uh, or me from my daughter and my wife. I mean, that that's where in any sort of situation, it's oh, we're just coming by to test. Oh, we're going to need you know your wife and your daughter to come into the, to the mobile transport over here, the mobile testing station, we're gonna need you to stay here. I mean that's it's one of those things that I've thought about many times, which is, you know, will mm-hmm. I look like a ridiculous schmuck for being like, fuck that, you know, no, you're not taking mm-hmm. my my daughter and my wife into that van. I'm going with them if we're gonna do anything and, and and even still, I don't want you I don't want you touching my family or me, so no you're not going to test us. In which case, yeah,
0: I understand you know. your worry. I mean, especially with how fast everything changed, yep. how fast uh, everyone was told to stay home, how mm-hmm. quickly there was uh, mask mandates in every mm-hmm. every place, or uh, just just how quickly every industry and organization kind of changed what they were doing to kind of fit this uh, narrative of a deadly pandemic. Right, and everyone kind of just fell into place. I mean. Mm-hmm. I was surprised that as many people listened as they did, but mm-hmm. when everyone was on board, there was a lot of social pressure. So yeah, I'm no wondering else. if this social pressure will increase and if we're going to see even wackier, unrecognizable futures than than we've seen yet. But, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we will see.
1: Yeah. I think so. So to, to kind of go back to what you're saying, the um, one year out, so there's two. There's t- I, I'm, I'm just, again, and I, I don't mean to always preface stuff. I just don't want to be an asshole that like assumes one thing and makes... I don't want you to feel like I'm saying that I'm right 100%. And so I try to mm-hmm. make sure I give context all my opinions because I'm still not 100% certain on any of this. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm trying to show... I'm trying to discuss like what I believe to be the closest to the truth that I've heard. Um, and I, I think based off of what I have looked into and what I have researched, I would say that I have a fear that that this this upcoming quote second wave of covid is a complete uh, um, like golem it's like a it's like a, a mechanation that will be created in order to to do the next step in all this which is to push for the ID 2020 um, have you ever heard of the you ever heard of the ID 2020 or the the RFID identification
0: uh, I saw that Bill Gates mentioned something about something like that mm-hmm. on reddit right where it was a right. uh, It was like a microchip they would implant in you that you would have to show before you could fly or before you could go anywhere or go into even, say, grocery stores.
1: Yep, that's pretty much it. Um,
0: I was surprised that Bill Gates even came out and just said that. Yeah, so I I got some notes on that actually here. Um, It seemed way too blatant and too soon to, to be introducing something like that.
1: Yeah, so this is in uh, March. March 18th, he called for it already. Uh, And he was saying, let's see, he said... I need to have diagnostics and technologies and investments made. Um, Well, let's see, control distribution. The only model that is known to work a serious social distancing effort... Uh, Yeah. Oh, here we go. Gates addressing a now deleted question. My retiring from public boards was not related... Oh, well. Wow. Whatever. That's a different question. Wow, this thing doesn't even show... Okay, I thought this was a it decent link. It but... doesn't actually show you. It gives you a title of what it is, but it doesn't show you where it says it. And maybe It <laughs> doesn't does show you any of it. Yeah. Wow. Um, but yeah, anyways, so So the...
0: Oh, it has the Reddit AMA right up there. You could click See, on oh. that. That's where I first saw it. Okay. And you just look at the comments, go down to the comments, and I think it's like one of the top comments uh it yeah it should have bill gates in there somewhere if this is if this is the yeah. correct pose yeah
1: testing uh.
0: but yeah long story short yep. he he was doing an ama, AMA which is an ask me anything on reddit yep. and uh someone asked him about you know what was the next step or something and um Bill Gates just straight up said tracking chips. Yep. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't think I was prepared for, for, you know, that was, that was like the, the horror stories I was told when I was a kid, you know, growing up in, in sci-fi classes or, or, or whatnot, dystopian futures of, of tracking chips being put inside of you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I mean, I know our phones are already as good as tracking chips, but, uh, you know not everyone carries a phone
1: yeah yeah i mean and and i i am against my better judgment i do carry a phone uh, a smartphone and you know i've considered going back to like flip phones mm-hmm. you know but even then
0: well they've sh- kind of changed the world so that you cannot survive in it as well without a smartphone
1: right right you know that's that's one of those things where it's like I, I don't believe that the that every person working on the new T-Mobile phones and then the network and everything are oh they're all in on the plan to get us so connected to it and dependent upon it that we can't live without it but at the same time what is what has been asked for by the consumers since the the dawn of cell phones it's like I want more capability I need a smaller more sleek device that has more capability you know and that's mm-hmm. that's what most people want in their devices they have and and, unfortunately, it's not just in the void that we are getting these more advanced machines that give us exactly what we want because they come along with things like tracking apps and software and the mm-hmm. fact that, you know...
0: Data collectors.
1: Oh, yeah, dude. You know, the it's, it's crazy, too, for anybody who's not too well-read on data mining, um, the amount of money... Facebook doesn't produce any content. They don't, they no, don't they produce... Don't. It actually wasn't until they acquired Oculus and a couple other companies... And they started creating software and games and stuff that they were actually starting to produce something. But Facebook, mm-hmm. for the first, like, 12 years or 10 years of its existence, did not produce anything other than it was able to sell information and data mining based off of people's shopping habits, what they would post online, the, the advertisements they clicked. Like, all that stuff was information that was worth billions, that they got paid mm-hmm. billions for. Um, but, yeah, anyway, so... I. I if I'm if I'm thinking of what I what I believe is going on with the situation, and if I'm because I'm I'm hoping for the best, but I'm expecting the worst out of this, mm-hmm. and I'm going to say what I expect is that in the next year, um, the the rollout of the immunization ID will already be in effect. It will have already or it will already be in the start of it. If not, it's already completely in effect. That you must have this identif- this identification thing that proves that you've been immunized against COVID before you can. Go to a concert before you can go into this restaurant. Before you can do this and that, and um, that's where I see a year from now. And uh,
0: man, yeah. if I swear if they make us get it on our right hand or our foreheads, I'm not doing it, dude.
1: I'm telling you, man. <laughs> there's already companies. There's a, there's a video that you can look up. And this wasn't in COVID time. This was like a couple years ago, or maybe a year and a half ago. There was a gal who I feel like was maybe one of the Amazon upper ups. One of the mm-hmm. one of the major companies she she did a whole thing where she um, at her location her and some other volunteer employees got a chip put into their between their right thumb and forefinger right in the pad of the the palm and the hand there they got it put in so that they can beep themselves into the building without having to use a key card and the the, uh, a, a, the chip wouldn't be stolen by anybody to be used to beep in you would just have it in your hand so it wouldn't be stolen um, unless of course they cut your hand off but mm-hmm. Uh, I,
0: I think I heard about this company that, that did like change their policy. So mm-hmm. all of their employees had to get these implants. Yep. Um, I, I don't remember the company name, but like, I guess everyone, uh, did, did they like it? Like, was...
1: I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's just, a, it was just a, it's a means in my opinion because it was on a made mainstream news outlet. It, it, to me, it's a means of trying to get people to be more warm to the idea of getting implants. And, uh, you know, Bill Gates has talked about multiple times about um, a potential for a means of trans, trans, um, mis, or, or um, um, transplant, or, tra- fuck, man, transporting vaccinations <laughs> into the bloodstream. A way to do that is to by putting it in. I don't know, dude, with all this talk, <laughs> the- I can't say transporting without thinking of, like, transgender, transpo- transposition, trans, a bunch. And it's like I'm a. lot of trans think- going on oh, these yeah, days. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But I'm I'm fairly certain the, the so his idea was that you could you could contain an amount of vaccination in this RFID chip, and it would it would intermittently deposit it into your system. Um,
0: huh.
1: There was a uh, I forgot so the, the name. The oh,
0: microchip on. itself would be the vaccine.
1: Pretty much, like, or it would contain the vaccine that would. You know and this is where it's like okay well how big does this device have to be inside your palm if it's going to maintain a certain amount of vaccine in it that it will then put into your body over the course of however long they say it's going to you know is it going to be like oh we have half a liquid ounce in there that to be disseminated into your bloodstream over the course of the next six months is it you know I, I have no idea um, I just don't
0: feel like a 0.5 percent death ratio is enough to warrant death uh, chip ids i agree uh, is there going to be a mutation that makes this more dangerous or or are we going to see do you think we're going to see any other factors enter enter play in the coming months i mean outside of the virus mm-hmm.
1: i mean yeah i think uh i actually think i actually think this this prediction because i'm sure you've heard of the second the coming second wave or the second mm-hmm. uh, you know I want you to—I want you to like really think about that. How is it possible that an organization can predict months ahead of time that there's going to be another surge or influx of the disease? Uh, when when was that possible prior? I understand that you could say, "Oh, hey, based off of these statistics, we see that um, this spread from here to here at this rate. Therefore, we can say, um, you know, within X amount of time, it
0: will spread into this part." Uh, but. Well, there's also talk about uh, cooler weather leading to uh, longer lifespans of the virus um, outside of uh, actual host. Yeah,
1: I mean, I guess. <laughs> I, I Who am I to say no? I, I have no idea. I mean,
0: I, I kind I of... Mean, that's, just... why, that's why people don't really get colds as often in uh, in the summertime. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think. I mean, I, I know next to nothing about medical stuff yeah
1: yeah i think uh i think this second wave in like september october november when whenever it's supposed to happen i think is going to be the next step in a push for you know even more restrictions on what we are allowed to do and it's going to come from an organization that is beyond the american government and they're and, but but the american government is beholden to them via our leaders quote and so, mm-hmm. therefore, we are beholden to the rules of the of this United Nations slash World Health Organization empire. You know that who, who knows who will run it? Who knows? I mean, they're they're unelected officials. That's the see. That's the big thing about this is that even if, and I don't believe for a moment that our voting system is actually legit. I think it's absolute horseshit. I don't vote personally, but if it is, <laughs> if it is a viable system that actually we've just. You know, if it is that we just have been inundated by shitty shitty candidates, but we actually do have a working voting system in place, um, this is a means of getting past that. Because if these individuals who run the United Nations and, and the World Health Organization are not elected, then therefore there is so much room, even beyond our elections, and quote, electing people, there is so much room for corruption, and mm-hmm. uh, favoritism, and You know, you already know that all these people in uh, positions of um, Congress and Senate who pass certain bills and then when they leave office have a cush job at some of these major corporations making millions of dollars, you know, doing nothing or consulting, you know, and uh, there's so much bribery and money and special interests involved in all of it. that.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, just in uh, talking to David Ricci last week, he was telling me that the FDA deputy director used to be the... uh, Biggest Monsanto lobbyists. Yep. I mean, they're literally sitting in the pockets of these corpora- <laughs> or corporations, doing their bidding. I mean, yep. There's no actual governing really going on. Correct. Yep.
1: And All right. uh, yeah. So. So, yeah, year out, I'm pretty certain we're going to be already balls deep in the push for forced vaccination and an ID, immunization ID. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, uh, I have no idea.
0: There, there's already a sizable number of people that are refusing to wear a mask or, mm-hmm. you know, don't really believe the coronavirus is as bad as they say it is. Now, when it comes time... <clears throat> that they're mandating vaccines or mandating chips. Uh, do you think that these people will push back in a way that is more than, you know, just your average pushback? Do you think it could spark an actual civil war? Sure. Um, I think I, I, I've been
1: surprised, you know, I, I left social media quite some time ago, um, years ago, and I haven't been on since as far as like Facebook and all that stuff. Uh, I have a LinkedIn for work and everything, but I'm hardly ever on it. But otherwise, I don't do social media. My wife still has a Facebook. And, you know, she has just tons of what would be considered, you know, kind of conservative people because she works within the uh, farming and horse uh, arena uh, 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 industry. And so she's got a lot of people who are a little bit more traditional. Um, yeah. And there's a, there are, there's an, a, uh, Every day, she says that there are articles that she sees people posting about how the numbers are wrong and how we're being lied to about some of these things and how it's being blown out of proportion. Um, you know, so in that, I am, I am, I am hopeful that there are more people who are opposed to this than what I think there are. Because I also have, uh, <coughs> I used to have a uh, when I was back on social media, I had a lot of leftist friends, left-leaning friends, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. consider myself right or left because I don't, I, I'm not. I'm not into any aspect of the paradigm whatsoever, but I'm definitely at heart a lot more conservative when it comes to uh, personal liberty and, and, mm-hmm. one, and one individual's right to be able to, as so long as they don't harm another person, to be able to treat themselves how they want to and be able to do what they want with themselves. Um, you know, but that's that's kind of where the similarities end because I'm also mm-hmm. a bit of an anarchist. But in the, in the scope of what this is... Um, it seems like there are a lot of people who are speaking up against it, but I also have this feeling that, um, you know, I've seen a lot of videos and a lot of talk from people on Reddit and stuff too and uh, about how, you know, us who are not doing it are only causing the problem to become worse. We are the reasons why it's spreading. We are the reasons why it's not going away. And mm. I feel, and, and that is that is a sentiment that's, that's parroted too by some of these talking heads on mainstream media is that you know we are the ones who are who are uh, spreading this because we are not falling in line and doing exactly what said there are still you know all these people who aren't wearing masks and therefore they're excuse me they're the reasons why it's still spreading and
0: I just yeah I have seen a lot of that blame especially yeah. on places like Florida or mm-hmm. uh, or you know just anyone that that goes to a party mm-hmm and and you think that's a manufactured kind of uh, kind of guilt trippish kind of way to get people to fall in line? Sure,
1: I think so. I think it's part of it. I think I think if you can you can convince people to um, to feel at blame to feel at fault for something that's going on, which I also feel is one of the reasons why this whole Black Lives Matter movement has been pushed to where it is just at this time too is in the on the whole. Uh, 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 what's his name George Floyd or Floyd yeah George Floyd George Floyd yeah um you know he the I watched this awesome video yesterday dude that was totally eye-opening that I did not even I did not even think about this in the recent few weeks there's been this whole push for you know uh uh David Cantor what's his name David Trudeau is that the guy who's the it's a of prime Canada. minister of Japan yeah. or uh, Canada, <laughs> not Japan. <laughs> yeah. Japan, Canada, same thing. It ain't America. That's all that matters. Uh, so, so he uh, he he took a knee to the Black Lives Matter movement publicly. Took a knee t- to it, you know. And there's there's mm-hmm. there's pictures and videos of police officers and police chiefs doing the same thing across the country. Uh, taking knees with protesters before they go on their way, you know, kind of like... Old yeah, they, the they
0: did that in Spokane about two hours before <clears throat> shooting at us. Yep.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's shooting at you? What? Oh, with rubber bullets, yeah. Oh, sure. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask about that here in a minute. But um, <laughs> So it's funny to me that, that they are kneeling and doing this because what action caused the death of George Floyd? it was it was the man kneeling on his neck and mm-hmm. and preventing him from breathing and killed him that way and he's in the same it's this dude who's got his hands that appears to be in his pockets or on his hip or whatever and he's kneeling on his head with the one leg mm-hmm. and uh it, it it i feel like i feel like there's something malevolent within the association with that like the the intentional usage of that act of bouncing or getting down on one knee um mm-hmm. It, well, it, Kaepernick like a, did it too. right? Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, so, and that was before George Floyd. Or George Floyd. George uh, Floyd. That was Kaepernick was way before that. So mm-hmm. there's a but, point. But uh,
0: in a lot of these protests, I mean, it's it's kind of waking up a, a lot of old feelings from previous uh, controversies with police and sure, armed, sure, uh, black people. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I, I see a lot of those sentiments, or when I was out there, I saw a yeah. lot of those sentiments being expressed. I mean, yeah. such as like uh, the uh, "hands up, don't shoot." You know, yeah. that was a that was the Michael Brown thing. I yep. I think, but it was still being uh, thrown out there along mm-hmm. with it. It's kind of like a the floodgates finally had too much pressure and they broke.
1: Sure. Yeah, you know uh, that that is one of those things where. You know, I, I, I personally believe that there are racist police officers. I believe there are racist judges. I think there are people who do some really fucked up things because they're racist assholes. Or they're not even racist, but they're just pieces of shit. You know? I, I sure. That they are they are uh, a non-discriminatory asshole to everybody, you know, or, mm-hmm. or to whoever's in their way. And I, I do believe there are people in positions of power and authority that, that exhibit those behaviors and have those mentalities. For sure. I believe that. I do not mm-hmm. believe it's systemic, and I do not believe that me as a white man I owe something to black people because I don't. I I have I have had I have had people uh, I grew up with friends who um who had very different home lives than I did, uh, home lives than I did, mm-hmm. and uh you know my but my best friend growing up was half Puerto Rican half white, and um but he looks more white than than Puerto Rican at least now or he did back then, um and uh, he grew up in a home very different than mine. Um, you know, and, uh, unfortunately his father wasn't really a big part of his life. And, uh, so, you know, my, my dad at one point became pretty, you know, as like a, because he used to come over all the time was Mm -hmm. kind of like a friendly father figure. And he would answer questions to my buddy, you know, that he had about life and about women and about stuff, you know? And so there was, it's not that I'm just expressing that we each have our own lives that we go through. Dealing with yeah. the, hand, the, the cards that we were dealt. So to to explain to me that because of my skin color, I am privileged. Therefore, I owe something to others who do not have the same skin color. Or I owe some sort of uh, setback or detriment on my part in order to bring others around me up. Um, I feel is actually yeah.
0: racist. I mean,
1: you're telling me. I believe
0: they they call it white silence. Yeah. That's what they call it. Oh, yeah.
1: They, they call it white silence is white compliance or silence is compliance, which is bullshit because I'm not silent. I'm just not saying what they want to hear me say. You know, I'm not saying that, oh, you're totally right. You know, There's a there's a video of a guy who, who, I don't know if this is staged or not, but there's a video of a younger black guy with a phone who runs up to this woman who's in a jogging outfit just about to leave this ho- hotel or something or apartment complex and he runs up and he goes, excuse me, um, I work for Black Lives Matter. And, uh you know you you because you're white you need to get down on one knee and apologize for everything you've done and she <laughs> she turns around towards him and does it she gets down on her knees without even questioning him <laughs> really just gets down and says you know hey I'm I'm and, and he goes now apologize apologize for your white privilege and she goes I, I I am I'm just trying to make sure that I get my words right on this because this is a this is a, a very you know uh, important topic you know and, and she's sitting there mm-hmm. talking about it she goes I'm, I'm very sorry and everything and and she gets up and she goes. I really appreciate you, and, and you can tell she's trying to leave, but she says, "I really appreciate you allowing me to be a part of this. Thank you." And, and gets up and starts walking before he can really say anything. He goes, "Oh, okay. Well, yeah, thank you." And that's the video. <laughs> so you can tell already that she actually didn't want to be there, but she was just placating mm. to what he was wanting, and it was ridiculous, dude. And I
0: people are naturally agreeable. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I know mm. I've I've kind of. Uh, Said or agreed with people just to escape confrontation. I've done it all the time. Sure. I mean, with conservatives and liberals. I feel you. Um, I'm doing it right now. Sure do. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <Kidding>. <laughs>
1: um, are you? Uh, you want to take a five minute break? We'll, yeah. We'll why go. not? All right. Cool. We'll be back.
0: All right. I have returned.
1: Yo. Um. I am going to have to request that we do a part two because I probably got to call it here shortly.
0: Um, Sounds good to me. Yeah,
1: dude. Uh,
0: I was going to mention about the uh, being agreeable with people. mm -hmm. Uh, Something I've noticed from it is you usually, if you're agreeable enough with people, they tend to give you their unmolested view on things, which I find valuable.
1: I totally agree.
0: So a lot of times when I'm bartending or whatever, I'll pretend to be, you know, just as conservative as the, the... customer or or maybe even uh more liberal than i am (laughs) to some some people you know and uh (laughs) you know with with the liberals it's not nearly as fun but with the with some of the conservatives they'll they'll really they've got some alt-right views oh (laughs) man especially with the with the race science i've heard race science come up uh, a surprising number of times with with people
1: yeah you know that's that's unfortunate too um you know because because a lot of times people are unwilling to really break that down and talk about Mm -hmm. it and on a fundamental level because if you look like i i personally have met white people that are absolute Mm -hmm. fucking idiots i've met a lot of them and i don't mean to say like oh they disagree with me i mean like they're fucking idiots They are people who treat their kids like shit they they treat themselves like shit they treat their environment like shit the people they run into they um don't have courtesy you know they're they're mm-hmm. they're they're just unwilling to be a part of you know uh, to to try and i i find and i'm you know take this how you will but i kind of i do my best to maintain the mentality of like especially when I'm outside of the home and even in the home mm-hmm. but especially outside of the home i try I try and leave areas that i go through as good as they were when i got there if not better you know, so I don't want to destroy anything. I don't want to make people feel like shit when I walk into a place and walk out mm-hmm. of it and have that kind of negativity just be the product of me, and that's it. And I... That's my product for the day, and I walk out and just just leave that in the store or whatever, you know, that I decided to be an yeah. asshole at. And, um, but, uh... But... Uh, well, fuck, I just derailed myself. I forgot where I was going with that.
0: Um, you were talking about uh, race science. Oh, yeah.
1: So... There's a guy named uh, Stefan Molyneux. Did you do? Oh, I know about him. Yeah, yeah. So, um, for what it's worth, I'll first say that uh, I'm sure people who will eventually listen to this will know who Stefan Molyneux is, and will know that he's definitely a race science kind of guy. But he wasn't Mm -hmm. always that way. Um, At least back in his earlier videos, I was a huge fan, huge fan, and still am of his earlier teachings and his earlier stuff years ago when he used to talk about parenting. And he used to talk Mm -hmm. about using the non-aggression principle, and he used to talk about anarchism, and how there's there's only one fundamentally uh, uh, moral and just, quote, government, end quote, situation, which is Mm -hmm. no government. Because these people are individuals who try and dictate and tell you how to live your life. Because... uh, you know, proper representation does not happen in any sort of government whatsoever. Mm-hmm. There are always special interests, and you always have to be wary of people who want to be rulers over you, regardless of what they tell you. There's something in them that is saying, I want to be a ruler over these people, I want to represent them, but what does that mean to represent people? Why, why, why do you want to be mm-hmm. a leader in a world forum, you know, for other people? Why do you want to be the one that represents them? But, I just, it's a little side note, but um, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, a lot of Stefan Molyneux's stuff early on was awesome, and I, I really appreciated his non-aggression principle stuff with parenting. Um, I really appreciated all of his research on spanking and the negative, the negative aspects or the negative uh, um, results and symptoms of spanking children early on in age and how it affects their trust in relationships and, and um, intimacy later on in life. You know, all the things. So
0: how do you think Stefan Molyneux went from being this Kind of a trustworthy, um, sensible, uh, intellectual guy on YouTube <clears> to being like an alt right um, <laughs> figurehead.
1: Sure, because that
0: uh, was obviously an evolution. Uh, I, I've seen it with a few other people myself. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call Jordan Peterson an alt right person, but Correct. I mean, there are people that you know, there are alt right people that do look up to him or or say um even ben shapiro has been labeled alt-right which i disagree with i think he's just a moron but
1: (laughs) (laughs) right you know well typically typically a lot of the alt-right is also pretty anti-semitic and uh you know i I obviously know that ben shapiro is pro-semitic and is a jew (laughs) and wears (laughs) a yamaka so i'm assuming he's probably not on Mm -hmm. board with that aspect of it but um, I,
0: of course a lot of things get labeled whenever whenever you get both sides of radicalism mm-hmm. in on things i mean they're gonna call terms like cultural marxism uh i think jordan peterson said it once in reference to something and sure you know they traced the root of the word and you know found out that jordan peterson was racist or something you know obviously <laughs> right. obviously their interpretations of, of, the smallest things kind of come out to be a bit drastically sure. uh shown
1: yeah i mean and and in regards to to finish up on Stefan molyneux so the all the the race science stuff i i personally on the one hand like i said i know i've known uh enough white people who are idiots to know that white people aren't automatically smart um, mm-hmm. I've known enough black people who do not act like gangbang thugs and pieces of shit that act like normal human beings. And I don't mean they act white. I mean they act like respectable human beings. Mm-hmm. They have their own culture. They have their own flair on everything they do, just like I have my own flair on, just like you do. They have their own personalities, but they are respectable to the people around them. That is a difference mm-hmm. between, you know, somebody who is an asshole and somebody who isn't. It has nothing to do with race. and. Mm-hmm. You know the, the where the problem lies within the, with if you if you make the argument that the issue is cultural, it puts the shoulders upon anybody who is within that culture to change it. But if you make it systemic, it means they don't have to change it. That it's about the other side that's been uh, that's put this cultural representation on them. You know, and and like if the statistics are to be true. Uh, are, are to be trusted um most gang violence is black on black violence um most uh most uh police brutality in the south is uh is against white uh individuals uh and the death rate for white individuals uh in um and, and obviously there are more whites in the united states than there are of course. you know most other uh uh, races, yeah, how, but, do,
0: how does it look proportionately?
1: Right, so proportionately, um, if I'm not mistaken, proportionately it is still, there are more people who are dying. Uh, well, okay, so so in, in a relative proportion size, I guess, I, I, guess I, I, I don't know, but I know that there are at least more white people that die each year in the South to police brutality than any other race, that includes black. And uh, that doesn't mean that those who die who aren't white and those who die that are white. It's not a tragedy. Of course it is. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of uh, sensationalism, and a lot of emotion involved in some of this stuff on all sides of this. Like mm-hmm. using race science as a, as a fundamental platform to say, on average, a black is more likely to commit a crime than a white. On average, a black will not have a job that can do this. On you could do that with anybody. You could say, on average, a white person has a higher chance of being a serial killer than a black person. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean that doesn't mean that that the gene is in us that we we at any moment could sure. unlock that gene to be. And the, that's
0: why it's such a taboo uh, piece of science. Yeah. I, I mean, you may be dealing with uh, facts and statistics, mm-hmm. but when it gets in the wrong hands, it can be easily manipulated in totally. which way? Totally. And uh, I think there's a lot of people that misrepresent
1: the data, and mm-hmm. um, you know I think Stefan Molyneux is one of those people. Um, mm-hmm. And and it and it because because I could make the argument that if if you put a it doesn't matter what color skin let's say there's just a gen, a, a general kind of brownish hue on a skin or you have a white skin person or well, it doesn't matter you just take mm-hmm. a type of person and you have somebody who's similar to them as as their partner and you have them start to create you know offspring and you have some individuals around them who um, are, uh, uh, let's say, there. There are groups of people that pass through this village from other villages, you know, hundreds of mm-hmm. miles away. That might have some different cultural influence that they might. And let's say some a group of people comes in from a village, a hundred or a thousand miles away, and there's a family that decides they want to stay at this village we're talking about. You know, well now mm-hmm. you have the influence of an, of a family and of an, of individuals who. Not only do you have the genetic influence, but you also have the cultural influence of these people now having an effect on everybody around them. Mm-hmm. And and what I what I I will say for certain is possible is that in the cases of incest, uh, you could totally end up with a with a like a malformed brain uh, size potentially or a malformed brain um, uh, capacity if you're dealing with a closed incestuous system, I totally think that's possible. But, um, you know, with where we are now, uh, bloodlines have been muddied up. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, they just, they've been, they've been cluttered up with other bloodlines so much in the past, you know, because of the expansionism that we've experienced in
0: mm-hmm. all the
1: imperialism human- of, uh, most of humanity. Totally. You know, and, uh, so what I what I believe is that I don't think I don't think even even for cultures cuz when you say who who is black and who has black culture it's not just somebody mm-hmm. with extremely dark skin. You know, there are plenty of light-skinned who identify as black. There are plenty of darker skin who identify as black. You know, there's there are people who have a Who are tan? Who have maybe some Puerto Rican in them, or something that identify as white? Like there's, it's really hard to say. Oh, this person identifies as this because because Mm -hmm. there there is kind of a gamut of what you would consider to fall underneath the the uh, uh, the the title of black, but that could encompass so many different bloodlines and everything. But but the the so so I don't believe for a moment that it is oh. Uh, on average like you know a black person i should be more wary about them because a black person in the genetic aspect of it Mm -hmm. is more prone to crime i don't think that you know but i could tell you right now that they're like the whole gangbang culture and the culture surrounding mainstream hip-hop is is uh in on in some lights and in some uh displays very vulgar and and not at all the uh, displaying the moralities Mm-hmm. of what I would want to see displayed for like my children so, to learn from.
0: Let's back up here. I want to clarify something. Sure. You said you do not believe systemic racism exists.
1: Correct. I don't think systemic racism exists.
0: Now what is your definition of systemic racism?
1: Like uh like from and this is this is my interpretation from what I've been told by people who say that systemic racism exists. This is the definition mm-hmm. that I've been told is that it's not an individual that it's in the very laws it's in the very structure it's in how people get licenses and how they become in, in these positions of power that it is racist inherently that there are people who are black that are passed mm-hmm. up for positions there are people who are uh you know not white that um ab- ab- obtain
0: now easier I convictions things like that tend know? i tend to see it a little bit differently sure uh, i i feel like it's more of a scar from history than anything else and, and to give you an example of that, I'll, I'll talk about uh, Native American reservations. Sure. They're generally terrible places. Sure. <laughs> I mean, in terms of poverty, in terms of crime rates, etc. Mm-hmm. Now, how did they get to that point? Was it because is it because Native Americans are inferior? I I don't think so. Right. However, in in the early days of uh, colonization in America, when Native Americans were first uh, pushed into their reservations or forced to blend in with society, they were sent to boarding schools.
1: Oh, and in these,
0: Yeah, in these boarding schools, they were, um, you know, weren't so much taught as as much as uh de-educated right their culture was pushed out of them i mean mm-hmm. sometimes beaten out of them sure a lot of the times these boarding schools were run by uh, priests catholic priests mm-hmm. and uh there was a lot of abuse that went on oh for sure physical abuse sexual mm-hmm. abuse i mean no doubt verbal abuse but sure. that's the lesser of the three there mm-hmm. um so you'd get these native americans that were abused from a very young age uh along with their family and friends being killed off almost right away i mean andrew jackson alone ordered the genocide of you know hundreds of thousands of native americans sure so when you when you start off in your society from from doing your own your own thing what your tribe's been doing for thousands of years to all of a sudden being forced to change like that. Mm-hmm. On top of that, you got the sexual uh, abuse and the the physical abuse of the boarding schools. You start off that way in a reservation. Uh, you're already poor. Sure. How are those problems going to be resolved within your generation alone? Right. Those problems are going to be passed down. On to the next generation sure. and the next generation yes, people can get out of it, but no it's not easy and it's a, it's a much longer process than we think sure. and, and as long as they're already down, getting up the, the upwards mobility within society mm-hmm. is not going to be easy. So I, I view the same uh, I view that same model with like sure. uh, the black community and mm-hmm. a lot of the inner city places i mean mm-hmm. with redlining and um you know jim crow laws in the south and and you know mostly where slavery began in sure. america sure so in my eyes that's what systemic racism is it's not it's not that there's laws now that sure. you know push down minorities It's it's right. more of the historical scar that is still affecting them to this day sure
1: I could say, you know, I I appreciate that definition because I could see what you mean by that. Um, I think, I think it maybe, perhaps, the issue then is that, um, you know, that onus, the if if someone is describing to me about a scar that is on our culture regarding the treatment of Black people, that even though I am, you know, at least at least a generation Mm -hmm.
0: separated from that, if not couple generations. It's, it's not just the treatment. It's, oh, sure. uh, it's single parenthood as well. Oh, of course. I mean you, you grow up with a without a father, there's a good chance you're gonna leave your kid. I mean oh, yeah. you just don't know how to be a dad.
1: Well Jordan and Peterson Jordan that, Peterson has a great point on that where he said that um, the strongest indicating factor of of success in any family, regardless of it being black or white or any any race, the strongest indicating factor of success in a family and in an individual's life is if they had two parents, and they had a exactly. home that was a, a marriage that had a marriage defining exactly. it, kind of running it. You know,
0: and if you have if you have these cultures or these societies or mm-hmm. these communities that have a history of mm-hmm. single parenthood, mm-hmm. at like a high percent of single parenthood, sure. you're going to see more violent crime. Yeah. Uh, you're going to see uh, more people dropping out of school. Mm-hmm. You're going to see a lot of the negative things that afflict them. So that to me is, is systemic racism. I mean, people say that cops go after black people, but cops are for the most part operating off of statistics that are already there. You know, yeah. that, that famous statistic, 13% of the population commits 50% of the violent crime. Sure. I, I agree. That's probably true, but mm-hmm. I, I think it got to that point from, from you know these, like I've been mentioning that the past five minutes these cigars. Oh yeah, no, no, I, I agree, I, and I, and that you know the, that's why
1: I just don't think that a blanket statement of it being systemic is enough for me. You know, like because mm-hmm. there are people who tell me it's systemic, therefore you know, and if that's the truth, Jordan, you being white, why haven't you done anything about it? You know, what are you doing? I, I've seen signs at these protests that say white people do something. And I'm like, <laughs> you you are telling me, because I'm white, that I have to do something about the treatment that other people are doing to you. Mm-hmm. When, when you know, it is not... This person who's white who's treating you like crap, or this hypothetical white person that is supposedly keeping you down, I am not related to this person. I am mm-hmm. not in 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 league with this person. And I've, I've been told in the past that my actions... Subconscious actions probably have perpetuated racism, um, and therefore, you know, not everything that uh, somebody who's white needs to apologize for is conscious action. It could be subconscious. It's microaggressions and all that BS. Yeah. And, Internalized oppression. Yeah, exactly. and <laughs> which, in, in that's where it's like, well, I can make the same argument if we. There mm-hmm. are people who are if you have if you are white and you have property in South Africa. Uh, certain areas of South Africa, you are being removed from your homes. Now, this is currently happening or was within the last like three or four months. You are being mm-hmm. removed from your homes and your land is being taken because you are white. So there, even if a privilege exists in the United States in that this country was mostly white for the last X amount of years, and then, and then you could argue that one has privilege because of that, because the systems were built upon the backs of white people, therefore you as a white individual must have some sort of you know, benefit within the system. Well, one could mm-hmm. say then that w- why does it matter? It's not a worldwide white uh, uh, um, privilege if if there are areas of the world in which white people are being persecuted. So it, it so may South be. South
0: Africa, isn't that a little bit different as an example? Because South Africa was a colony of the British for, sure. for such a long time. For sure. I mean, apartheid and Nelson Mandela weren't that long ago, you mm-hmm. know? For sure. I, to- I totally agree. And that's I, where mean, I do think it's a bit extreme, I mean, taking away people's land just mm-hmm. because of that, but yeah. uh... I agree. And it's not it's not me saying, Oh, hey, but look at us suffering over
1: here, woe is the white people. It's more like, you know, I even though there are white people in Africa who are being removed from their homes and their land because of their skin color, I don't know these people. It doesn't mean that mm-hmm. I don't feel bad for them, but I don't know them, so I'm not going to claim here that mm-hmm. I that I am owed something because those people over there are being damaged because of the skin color. You know, in, in the United States, I, uh, I will say
0: I was worry. also wondering that, uh, especially with the masks yeah. or in uh, protest. It's so weird to be asked to care about a stranger. <laughs> yeah, yeah <dude. laughs> you know, when when you know. People that are close to you that grew up in like a black community or in the black community, yep. then it's a bit it hits home a little bit more. And, oh, and yeah. sure, you you want to speak up, but when you don't have a dog in the fight, mm-hmm. it's like, why would I want to place any bets?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. let's uh, dude, we need to we need to finish this conversation. So let's oh, let's okay. pick it up some other time. Um, and because I would love to, and I don't mean finish it like. I wanna make oh, no, quick. No, like I wanna yeah. I wanna expand no, we'll, upon this we'll we do got a part two. Yeah, we got plenty to talk about.